Welcome once again to a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. My name is Jamal and I am a Buddhist. I'm Jacob. I am a Christian. Uh, and Jacob, which social media platforms are you on? I'm on Facebook and allegedly Instagram, but I've not really got into the Instagram nurse and that's it I'm, I'm doing millennials of disservice you're doing disservice you, 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 you're not on the TikTok on the uh... no I'm not on the TikTok I'm, I'm vaguely on LinkedIn but I mean who's on LinkedIn I mean I, I'm only on LinkedIn because I worked in like recruitment for a while and like that that's like half the job is being on LinkedIn but no um, also by the way Christian Buddhist bar uh, is the Facebook thing you can search to find a Christian or Buddhist walk into a bar on Facebook. We are only on Facebook. We're not on the Insta or the TikTok. Or no. We need short videos of Jamal on TikTok. <laughs> I, I need to make a, a TikTok for my for my Greyhound before I make a, a TikTok <laughs> for, for me and, and this, this podcast. Um, but you have an article about Facebook for us, Jacob. That's right, Jamal. I certainly do. I've got a, an article from the New York Times uh, from July 2021 talking about the, um, the, the pandemic uh, in part. Uh, and how Facebook has been reaching out to religious organizations, um, mostly churches from the article here, although they also talk about a bit about mosques and um, there's even a, a Buddhist, I think in a picture, I don't think it talks about Buddhist, Buddhism per se, um, and how Facebook can cultivate partnerships with faith communities to, quote, uh, have a greater strategic opportunity to draw highly engaged users onto its platform. The okay. company aims to become the virtual home for religious community and wants churches, mosques, synagogues and others to embed their religious life into its platform. That's not going to go wrong in any way whatsoever. So why is it going to go wrong, Jamal? I sense sarcasm in your voice here. <sighs> um, so I... I, I think I fundamentally just don't trust Facebook as, as the first as as a company. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, if you're listening, please keep our Facebook page up. <laughs> yeah, 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 suddenly get banned. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean like I, I I trust Facebook to do what is within the interests of Facebook, um, and I think that the business model they have built is one of monetization. Uh, and one of you know trying to be the everything place for the internet, right? You, you yeah. every, everyone does everything on Facebook, and that that then means they can advertise more, and they can. Oh, and this is the metaverse. Yes, right. correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I get that, um, and I do of you know I do see a per, a place for Facebook in a kind of religious experience or the running of a religious group in the sense that you know everyone's on there. You can promote stuff, you can promote events, and that kind of stuff. Um, what I think I struggle with here is I don't I don't fully trust that there's not gonna turn into some kind of surreptitious marketing thing or something that's gonna like you know that that Facebook's intentions here are not to actually build faith-based communities or provide opportunities for people to properly better connect with their churches and mosques and synagogues, but it's actually to just get more people on Facebook for a greater period of time so then it can advertise to them more. And I don't know. I, I mm. seems seems not in line with, with religious teachings to me, but, you know, I, I stand to be corrected. Well, and this is what I find kind of interesting is that the article opens with Sam Collier, who's a pastor in the US. At the time the article was written, he was the pastor of a new Hillsong 
church in Atlanta um, and should probably add that since this was published, um, he has left Hillsong um, as many people did uh, earlier in 2022 um, in the light of um, all of the, the Brian Houston scandal that um, that came out. So no longer with Hillsong, but was at the time of this um, article. And he could only speak in a limited sense about what the partnership with Facebook uh, and that Hillsong Church looked like because they'd signed a non-disclosure agreement. Which again is is, is a little bit fishy, if anything else, and, and, and not quite loaves and fishy. <laughs> <laughs> right, like it's, it's something that, you know, it does a, is there a place for a church to be doing that? Or is this a, one of the critiques of Hillsong as a kind of organisation um, is that it's overly commercial, right? That's um, a, a view that people hold. And, and is, is there a point at which there you, you kind of, you're becoming more of a business and less of a religious organisation? Or is that what Facebook are seeing religious organisations as here, do you reckon? Well, and yeah, I so I, I want to caveat maybe just by talking for a second about actually what I think the positive, useful interactions of yeah, online communities and Facebook yeah. might be. Um, so, you know, during COVID, um, there was obviously a real need for faith-based communities to move online, um, for people to uh, be able to continue continue to engage with their communities and continue to engage with their religions uh, in a socially distanced way. And online obviously was the the most logical and you know, easy way to do that. Well, so to, as someone who you know, plays a leadership role in a church, we started streaming everything. Yeah. We'd never streamed anything before March 2020, and then all of a sudden everything was streamed. Absolutely. And, you know, um, so the the Buddhist monastery that I engage with mostly um, out of Perth, they've had a podcast feed for a long time, um, but they started releasing daily guided meditations uh every morning one of the monks would would release a daily guided meditation they'd do it live they'd stream it on youtube they'd you know it allowed them to continue their engagement with the community the dharma talks if anything it expanded it you know um i'm part of a zen group at the moment who have not gone back to in-person meetings because they found that a lot of their members were actually dispersed across the country uh and um and you know doing their daily morning meditations via zoom was made more sense to them right so so there's a real positive kind of use of technology that i think has has happened during covid um you know and particularly during covid when people i think have probably had a greater need for spiritual connection right you know it's it's a uh it's a stressful time it's a um it's a time when people i think you know are more benefited by having spiritual practices than maybe in 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 non-COVID times. Um, so, you know, I think there's been a real positive step forward towards a more technologically savvy, a more uh, engaged, uh, broader scope of uh, practice to happen that I think has happened through churches, through religious institutions of all kinds. Um, so that's really positive. You know, I, I think the move towards online community uh, and that is really positive. Um I don't particularly think it should replace in-person um, in-person religious uh, practices. You know, I think uh, other than just the person-to-person interaction, I think the um, 
part of what makes a really strong religious community is the localness of it. You know, I, I you know, I, I don't think running a church that doesn't have any local center would, would work so th- too well. Does Buddhism have this aspect? I can't speak for any mm. other tradition than, mm. than Christianity, but like, there's this idea that as part of a church, you are connected with, have relationships with a whole bunch of people who otherwise you wouldn't necessarily cross paths with. Mm. And part of what we see on the the internet in general and social media in particular is just this growth of, of bubbles, right? Like where you one tends to engage with people with whom you already agree yeah. and you already share all of the ideas. So you're not um, encountering different people, different viewpoints, that kind of thing. One of the things about a church is that you you're forced to um, be in relationship with people who otherwise you might never have met or certainly like who you wouldn't naturally form a friendship group, affinity group, whatever with. And that's part of the diversity of humanity. And that's um, because God uh, accepts all people regardless of, um, of who they are, what they've done, what they've been. The church does the same thing. And that means as Christians, we, we learn to accept people in the way that God does. And, I wonder if taking too much online kind of brings those bubbles in from a church perspective. But is there a similar, is there, is there, is there something comparable to that in Buddhism or is it easier to just kind of have your own no, path I, I, and relate to people that you want to relate to? I know, I, I think it is um, it is comparable, but I think it's comparable just, you know, in the functional sense, right? In the, you know, you know, uh, going to your local Buddhist temple does the same thing as going to your local church does, right? It brings you into contact with people of diverse views. Um, there's not so much a kind of deliberate, like, oh, we're going to try and make this happen, but I think it happens organically out of the fact that, you know, Buddhism does, you know, cater to anybody, you know, that, that no one is turned away from from a temple um, for, you know, any reason other than, like, actively trying to harm other people there <laughs> or something. So, you know, so so it, it's, you know... Yeah, it, it's it's this idea that you, know, you 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 build that community kind of organically in that. So yeah, I, I think it's comparable. Um, and, and I think there's a role for Facebook here, right? Like, you know, our podcast has a Facebook page, right? <laughs> like, you know, so and I, I think it makes sense that religious groups have Facebook pages and use it. You know, I I like that there are you know um, people are live streaming stuff on YouTube, on Instagram. People are using the social media platforms to engage an audience and spread that. And I I think when that's done organically from the perspective of an existent uh, group that is then trying to, you know, uh, do what they do in a more public and broad way, I I think that's really good. I I don't see any issue with that. I think the the issue that specifically I see here is that when a church or a religious group forms a partnership with a particular social media platform, which – you know, Facebook would not be signing a contract that is not in their interest, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there, there is no way that Mark Zuckerberg has decided that they're, now they're just going to promote religion in a kind of positive way, uh, like we do on this podcast, um, that for, for, no, for no profit or for no anything else, right? Like, like Facebook would have an agreement that is within their interest and within their financial interest. So, um, but could it not be within the church's interest as well who's who's signing off for it? Or, the, or yes. is the church being taken for a ride, do you reckon? Well, I, I think it could be within the church's interest. But, like, I also think that the lawyers at Facebook are probably better than the lawyers at any given church, right? And so, yeah, there, there might be mutual interest, right? The church's interest could be spreading uh, a broader message and getting more followers, and Facebook's interest could be getting more people on Facebook, and they could align, right? But I guess my point is at some point those interests are going to diverge, 
right? That the, there, there is, you know, the reason that Facebook and, you know, the Pentecostal Church of Brooklyn are not the same entity is because at some point they have a fu- fundamental <laughs> difference in interest, right? Um, and I trust 100% that at that point, Facebook's interests will win, mm-hmm. right? That the, the contract will be written in such a way that Facebook's interests are more important than the church's interests. And, you know, let's hope that those interests never diverge and they're also in line with the interests of the community and whatever else. But the relationship is now between the corporate entity of Facebook and the church, not within, not between the church and the community, which I think actually that's where the mutual interests coming together needs to be. Which is a challenge of Facebook, right? Like that Facebook kind of presents itself as the community, but it's actually a corporate entity. Yeah. Um, which is one of the, the challenges. I, I, I think part of what part of what strikes me here is in in what sense does being online and, and your digital presence um, and the way that you engage with that how does that change a, a church's or, or a mosque's or a um, or a monastery's values and traditions uh, and is that a good thing or a bad thing I don't I don't want to pretend for a second that you know all change is bad change there could be good change here as well but there's also the potential for for bad change i'll give one example from the article there's there's more we could talk about but the um the churches of god in christ uh, a largely african-american pentecostal denomination of roughly six million members uh, recently started trying two facebook tools subscriptions where users pay for example ten dollars a month and receive exclusive content like messages from the bishop uh, oh, that that's uh, that's problematic, but anyway. Right, yeah. yeah. And another tool for worshippers watching services online to send donations in real time, uh, and they decided against the third feature, which was advertisements during video streams. Right. So, so, but so, is all Facebook doing then is monetizing the church? Well, but that that I mean, I I presume that most of that ten dollars per month is going to the church, right? Sure, like, but but like, but again, I I I have an issue with the church trying to fundraise in that kind of, like that. I have no issue with a religious institution fundraising. Obviously, it needs to do that. But like, and you can donate now to Christian. But no, you <laughs> no, can't. no, you cannot donate. We don't. We don't have a Patreon. It is free. It is all. It will always be free. Yes, um, but but I have an issue with a church trying to trying to essentially use social media to 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 drive up donations. That that seems a little antithetical. Well, I mean, like, there's a challenge there. But again, to just go back to criticisms of of hillsong in australia right like is that the the monetary aspect kind of drives a lot of what they do this is a a critique that people have of i mean pentecostalism as a as a movement in general um and like if you go to your average church on a on a sunday there will be an offering taken up of some description or other for the ongoing work of the church and so the the sending donations in real time i I kind of don't mind that because it's it's an evolution of mm. something that's you know been happening since forever. I fully agree with them of not having advertisements during video streams just because of the way that people absorb content and you don't want to necessarily be associated with advertisers. But could we come back to the the ten dollars per month thing? Like yeah, the the issue, the challenge that I see there is that when you pay that ten dollars per month, you get exclusive content. Yes. And is that something that a church or a religious organization, like, shouldn't everybody have access 
to the teachings of the church and the resources of the church. Yeah, okay. I, I will stand corrected on that. I, I agree with you. I don't have too much of an issue with the live donations aspect of it. Okay, I, I, I can see where that where that's replicating something's happening. And you can life. certainly, you can, you can overdo it in the sense of like, you know, well, if you really care, you'll give now to like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it but, but can Hillsong be overdone. Do Hillsong do that anyway. <laughs> but, um, uh, but but you, you know what it is though. So the ten dollars a month subscription thing, you start walking down the path towards indulgences here, right? Mm. Like like you start going, you can, you can get more, you know, unique, bespoke, you know, direct access to God if you just pay a bit more money, and that starts to get problematic. Well, I don't know that it's necessarily. To, to be fair, I don't know that it's necessarily better access to God. But you get kind of more in depth, like yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's like it, it feels icky. Um, it, it doesn't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, well, so like just to push this right, like is is there a place then for religious publishing? Like the Christian publishing industry is is massive yep. worldwide, particularly in the states. Obviously, it costs to buy a book. Some people have more resources to buy a book than don't. Yep. Is that okay? Is that should that be part of so 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 to give religions? you to give you a context? Uh, pretty much all Buddhist books are free. Okay, right. Um, you walk into a monastery; they have a bookshelf full of books that they're just given away. Um, they have a donation box next to it, but whatever. Uh, and in most Buddhist books, you will see printed at the front: "This is a Dharma book printed for free distribution. Any attempt to sell this is, you know, not good." Yeah, like when you get the little fun-sized chocolates. Yeah, yeah, say, yeah. Not, know, for not for individual resale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but 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 I think it's like that, right? And 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 I guess this is I guess this is my fundamental belief, right? Is that access to religious wisdom should be accessible to everybody free of charge. I do not believe that wealth should be a barrier in any capacity to accessing religion. I agree that. For people who have the means to, who want to then support that religion, they should be given an avenue to financially support that. But it should not be a ticket to entry. You should not have to buy a ticket to walk into... Or a barrier to entry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to, to walk into any kind of religious thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's that's maybe where my, where my ickiness comes from here, is that, you know, I see what Facebook is doing in this scenario as steps towards putting up paywalls to religion. Uh, and, you know, I'm really not not a fan of paywalls to religion. And there have been um, instances as well in, in Christian publishing of um, people having published books, for instance, um, which they, they wrote during their time on staff as a church where they were, you know, that was where their income was coming from and enabled them to write the book, but then they, the individual, get the royalties mm. for the book and there can be all sorts of unhealthy things that kind of yeah, come up with that, yeah. I, so I, I want to take back to an earlier question you had, which I think is also interesting here. Um, so you were asking about um, traditions and the impacts that online, yeah. uh, online kind of engagement has on traditions. I think in Buddhism it's actually really pronounced. So at least in the Theravada tradition the entire kind of daily engagement with the monasteries and the kind of the, the general practice of when you go to a monastery, what do you do is deeply centered around what we call dana, which is this idea of giving. And it, the practical application of that is it's food service. Mm -hmm. So giving food to the monks is uh, the thing you do. 
you know, you, you, know, you go to any monastery in the world at about 10 a.m. because that's when the monks eat and you participate in the dana service and then the monks will give a talk uh, uh, just after lunch uh, as a kind of thank you exchange for that and um, that is the practice, right? Like that, that is the service that happens. Um, and during COVID, you can't do that. Right, like yeah. if you remove in-person services, you can't actually do that. And I think, you know, the Buddhist rules actually specify that monks are not allowed to cook for themselves. It makes, you know, it's a force, forcible dependency on people giving them food as a way of kind of, um, you know, as a way of encouraging good behavior, as a way of encouraging community engagement, that kind of stuff, right? Um, and yeah, so suddenly during COVID, you know, you have all these monasteries going, do we have to break our rules here and actually cook for ourselves because we can't get people to come and give us food? Yeah. Um, and then also it's like, well, like, what do we do here? Like, yeah, how do we, um, you know, we, we can give talks, we, we can give our part back to the community, but, like, you know, we can't give the opportunity for the community to give their part to us. See, they can't bring food. That kind of breaks that cycle. Yeah. yeah. And so there's been an interesting kind of process of grappling with that. And, yeah, I think each... Each monastery or each, you know, uh, each temple has dealt with that slightly differently. But I think, you know, it's an interesting thing where that tradition is so, so grounded in the being in personness of it that I think, um, yeah, shifting to online has really had to force a rethink of a lot of that. I'm curious, like, because there's this phenomenon of um, celebrity pastors, right, that we've seen over the last hundred years in particular. Like, it, it's kind of always been there in a sense um but like just people that have extraordinary reach and influence and platform largely due to technologies like television um obviously things like youtube and and all of that now um the the hillsong church is kind of a story of this in in a lot of ways um and there's a a critique of this that it, it becomes a at a certain point can there's a danger that it becomes all about the individual um, and we, we talked about this a little bit um, in politics uh, quite a few episodes ago now um, where we talked about like kind of ego and, and like how power can corrupt and that, that happens in the church as well. Can you, can you see that happen and, and has it happened in some places in Buddhism? Could you have like a celebrity monk who just sort of ends up in a, having a harmful position just because they've got such enormous reach that that, kind of stokes their ego in unhealthy ways and that's the main criticism of, of Ajahn Brahm yeah okay um, you know there, there have been criticisms leveled at Ajahn Brahm um, for those of you uh, who are first time to me talking about Ajahn Brahm um, he is a monk out of Perth um, the uh, full caveat he is a monk that I probably personally would say that I follow um, but the main criticism leveled at him is that it's becoming a cult of personality Mm-hmm. that it's about him it's not about you know the teachings or whatever else I, again I, I think if you listen to what he says it's probably that's contentious I, I don't necessarily agree with that but absolutely you know he has gone to Indonesia and sold out stadium concerts faster than Lady Gaga has you know so people had to buy tickets well because it was, it was a stadium concert yeah yeah so well but see that, like, is it, how is that different to the Facebook but like yeah. Yeah. Um, I so again, I, I I'm not sure that people had to buy tickets. I think they had to oh, okay, register sure. for a ticket. Sure. Well, yeah, that, yeah, no, yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. That's so I, I, yeah. I think it was free, or if it if it was charged, it was, or you know, the, the cost of putting on the event kind of thing. It, sure. it certainly wasn't a profit making endeavor. Um, but you know, the tickets went quicker than Lady Gaga. 
yeah, the 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 um, I think he has the thing where he mentioned at one point like his a book that he wrote, um, is in bookstores and um sells you know is like the the third biggest seller in in, in Indonesia after the Quran and the Bible, right? And again, but the thing that book is being sold. Right, like, and here's another one, right? Yeah. That that book is being sold as a book, so there's absolutely a question there of like, well, what is that, you know, there? And I think probably the line that is drawn there, I think, in the fact that like, and it's interesting, right? Because I've seen his monastery very specifically sell his books and not sell other Buddhist texts and like give away yeah. other Buddhist texts. And I think the line they're drawing there is that, um, the the books that Arjun Brahm have written is you know, it's using the Buddhist teachings as a basis, but they're not texts of the Buddha's word. Like, it's not like... They're the, not expositions of the... Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, so you know, when there's a book there that's like, you know, a monk that's writing a commentary on what the Buddha said in this thing, that's, that's for free. But when Ajahn Brahm is writing a bunch of short stories that are allegories that kind of teach Buddhist lessons, that's $10. You know, mm-hmm. like because of the, yeah, and there's a line there, and I don't know where they've drawn that line, right? Um, but absolutely, right. There's there's a thing, I, and I, again, I think in this this also goes to the other Buddhist idea, which I think is interesting, and I think probably is the one thing that I think saves some of the criticism here is that Ajahn Brahm himself is not allowed to have any single money, any money at all. Yeah, right. So, so well, there is no personal wealth that this person can gain. Like, yeah, it is actually impossible structurally for this person to gain personal benefit and wealth out of that. And this is a, the challenge and the interesting thing within Christianity is that uh, most of these kind of celebrity pastors and, and that kind of thing is not exclusive, but many of them come from a kind of a non-denominational mm-hmm. tradition or, or not the traditional, um, certainly Catholic or, or the 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 mainstream protestant traditions and i say that as somebody who is part of a a mainstream protestant denomination um so with that due caveat but there does seem to be an extent to which denominations within christianity and that broader structure uh, and certainly the catholic church provides a, a safeguard against that cult of individual in in the same way um as like you know Ajahn Brahm kind of reflecting that he's under a certain authority in the way that he treats money and life and everything. And I imagine he would lose a whole bunch of authority if he was actually seen to be having, you know, receiving money and income because yeah. people, well, you're not practicing what you preach, which is, again, something that is leveled at, at particular individuals. This has been the whole Hillsong thing with Brian Houston. Like, you know, yeah. are, you, are you just in it for the money or are you practicing what you Absolutely, and and I think there are a number of actually, you know, there are a number of famous monks that have gone through that process, right? Where they've become famous, they've developed a following, they've gotten that notoriety, and then they've kind of shifted into starting to have money or whatever else, and suddenly, you know, they lose half their followers, right? Because it's like, <laughs> well, hold on, what's going on? Um, I I want to pull out one other thing from this article here. Um, so when when he's in, uh, so when um Elizabeth Diaz, so when when she is interviewing the guy from Hillsong. Um, there's a quote here saying, he's partnering with Facebook, he said, to directly impact and help churches navigate and reach the consumer better. Consumer isn't the right word, he said, correcting himself, reach the, reach the parishioner better. That's I was going to quote that. I'm glad you brought that in, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that to me is like, that. that's the kernel of what's going on here and I think maybe what I'm concerned about is, you know, 
this shift towards seeing your religious community as consumers. And I, I think we do this in society. I, th- I think, you know, um, I was personally very miffed when uh, I was living in Melbourne and the voiceovers on the trains started ref- going, uh, you know, dear customer mm. as opposed to dear passenger. Mm. You know, I, I think that there's a fundamental shift there that I don't like. Um, and I think this is kind of what's going on here, right? Where it's like, you know, I mean, again, Hillsong has maybe always had this kind of attitude, um, but like this kind of you risk when you start doing entering business partnerships around this kind of stuff that you know, you start using the parlance of the business. You start treating your church community as consumers of your business. And then where do you go from there? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I'm reading a book at the moment. It's an incredibly nerdy book. I think it's a published thesis. So, you know, if you're into that thing, go read it. It's um, by a guy called Michael Niebauer or, or Niebauer um, called Virtuous virtuous proclamation or persuasion one of those anyway he he talks about this with if if your mindset to the church and evangelism is that the church needs to grow um and we need to which which is true so far as it goes right like that we want to be proclaiming the good news about jesus to more people which is this article is just dripping with that idea of the more people that hear the gospel and the good news the better um and he says that one of the dangers when you adopt that mindset is you just look at, well, any growth is good growth. And so therefore, anything which expands your reach and anything which expands your growth potential is ipso facto good. And what that does is um, blinds you to the moral decisions around, well, just because Facebook as a platform can expand your reach and potentially expand your growth that may not be healthy growth or that may um, play with other values in your church or in your community uh, and that might affect yeah, the way that you start treating people here, like talking about consumers rather than parishioners uh, in ways that you're not going to notice if you're just purely focused on growth. And he starts to bring in um, Alistair McIntyre's critique of managerialism and, and other stuff mm-hmm. in here. It's, a, it's an interesting read. But yeah. he, he picks up on this idea that um, just taking kind of the, the tools of the culture, if you like, because they meet a goal that you think you have, um, that that can, can start to have insidious effects that you don't notice because you're, you're taking the goal as the most important thing. Mm. Yeah, and that whole thing around, um, you know, kind of that, that whole managerial attitude, it, it's kind of like that time a Christian and a Buddhist walked into a bar and they um they saw they said they saw someone at the bar who was like you know filling out forms to like register you know register like a, as a religious organization they go up to them and they go oh, what's going on and the person's like oh yeah, yeah I'm an atheist and I'm registering this religious organization and then, and they go oh, hold on like you you're you're an atheist like how you know why are you doing this like oh no it's, it's tax purposes right I want, I want to get 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 the tax write off uh, for what they're doing and they're like well hold on like you're not a religion you don't, you don't have a religion though you, you an atheist and the atheist goes you know no i, I I'm, I'm a non-profit religion yeah nice yeah, yeah. which actually makes me think leaving the joke aside like how would how would prophets have responded to something like the digital like it's a serious question like martin yeah. luther was famously a, a massive user of the printing press and yeah, the, yeah. you know the, the internet technology of his oh, day luther would be all over this 
Well, yeah, he, he would be in some ways, but and and what shape would that give? Like, what would Isaiah yeah. have done with the internet or, or the Apostle Paul? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, I, I, I would love to see Jesus as TikTok. <laughs> just <laughs> actually, so so I just a side sidebar on this. Have you heard of Pray dot com? I have, yeah. You sent me a podcast about this. Yeah. It was on a Freakonomics yeah. episode recently. So, so yeah, yeah, this is kind of what prompted the conversation around this, and then I think you went and found an article that, that would speak to something like this. But yeah, I found that really interesting that this yeah this website pray dot com, which has arisen kind of since COVID, really, or at least has gotten uh, in popularity um, since COVID. It, it, it's it's listed as the number one app for daily prayer and bedtime Bible stories. Um, and like I find it really interesting, like so the the creator of that was interviewed on Freakonomics and was very much just this entrepreneur type, and it was like it was like yes he was a Christian and wanted to provide a space for people to to do that, but um but also very much it was a business thing and very much it was a you know how do we monetize and like provide a kind of you know freemium premium service for that um and it it, it reminds me of um there's an app called insight timer which has traditionally been used for a lot of meditation uh, stuff and yeah it just has a meditation timer and then a bunch of talks but that has also kind of recently shifted its model and shifted its structure to really encourage kind of um i'm not sure if it's a fully kind of paid subscription service thing but definitely you know it's kind of limited the the ease of accessing some of the more the traditional uh the traditionally like uh you know free you know given away stuff and has also tried to monetize a bit and I, that 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 drive i think to like to when you create an app to monetize and to make it into something and to like you know even when it is a religiously based thing you know even when it is something that's like you know well this is you know this is just about you know to me pray.com should just be about getting people to pray yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and and you know they argue that it is but i'm also like well then why are you charging a subscription service for extra stuff you know. and, and this is where the the question of like a voluntary donation, like support mm. our work, yeah, like fine. But as soon as you you're paying for access, you, in in my view, you start to cross a line. Yes. Speaking of that line, I, I want to just like take this moment to note, um, this podcast will always be free. Yeah. You know, I I think that this this is actually a, I think a kind of a values piece and, and something I think it's important to to flag here that you know we started this podcast and we had the discussion around all sorts of ways of doing it and you know there's obviously a way to monetize podcasts right there's obviously a way where you know we can ask for donations or we can ask for stuff whatever else but but fundamentally this podcast will always be free I think we're both very committed to this idea that we're not going to put ads on. Correct. We're yep. not going to monetize. We're not going to try and make any money out of this. We do this out of the desire to... We do it out of love. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, love for God and for for knowledge, but also love for you guys who are listening because yeah. uh, we're growing as people Absolutely. doing this. I think I think we can say that. And we hope you are as well. And that's kind of... That's our point of being here. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, and, I mean, yeah, you... You can also technically probably do it on work time, uh, which, which is helpful. Um, but yeah, we, we, we do this. Um, it doesn't cost us very much to run. I think anyone anyone who's running a podcast that tells you it costs a lot to run a podcast, unless they actually don't have another job, I, I think is probably trying to, you know, trying to pull, pull something. Massive shout out, we should say, to the Woden Library, yes. ACT government, who provide this podcast room because we're a, a you know, verified community nonprofit thing. 
um, we, we get to use this wonderful facility, uh, which makes the editing process a lot easier, certainly. For sure, right. But um, but, it would, but even if we didn't have this, right, it would cost us the cost of a mic and the cost of a yearly subscription to Podbean. And, you know, I, it's not a whole lot of money. It's a little bit of money, but we're very happy to pay that ourselves um, because at the end of the day, you know, we believe that these conversations should be available. These conversations should be encouraged and heard, and we want to make that free. Um you know, obviously, we, we we would love for the audience to grow. Um, you know, if you like this podcast, please recommend tell it to your a friends. Friend, yeah. You know, you know, do that kind of thing. But you tell know, your enemies. You know. <laughs> tell everybody. They might not listen. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I I think it is important to note that you know that it's really critical to our values and what we're doing here that this is a free podcast and this is something that you know uh, we want to run against that grain of monetization and against that grain of um. Uh, of advertising and trying to trying to make money out of things, and honestly, I think God would hate ads. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, anything else for today, Jacob? Yeah, I just I just want to close off with one thing that kind of reflects what we've been saying. It's by Ephraim the Syrian, uh, who my notes here tell me was in the fourth century in, in would you believe Syria. Um, and I, I found this during the week. I was looking at a, a story about Jesus in Luke's Gospel in chapter ten. Um, Jesus sends a bunch of people out to the towns and villages where he's going to go. Uh, and he tells them to proclaim peace in these places and heal the sick and, and that kind of stuff. He says, I'm sending you like sheep out among wolves. You're not to carry a staff or a, a money bag. Don't take anything with you on the road for the journey. Um, it's kind of like you know, be Buddhist in a sense, in, in that monkish sense of don't take anything with you you're going to be completely reliant on the hospitality of these people in the, the places it's very you buddhist yeah and so um so ephraim the syrian looks at this and he says that jesus sent them two by two in his likeness he sent them preaching without a salary as he had done i'm sending you forth like lambs among the wolves he said to show that as long as the shepherd was with them they wouldn't be harmed to encourage them he said the one who receives you receives me he forbid them to take money for fear that they would be considered businessmen and not announcers. And I think this this fourth century um, guy is really capturing the danger here that we're talking about. Um, Absolutely. Businessmen, not heralds. Yes. Um, yes. And on that note, thank you very much for listening. Um, we really appreciate it. As we said, please tell a friend. Uh, we can be found at Christian Buddhist Bar. If you just search that in any of your podcast apps, you will find us. You can contact us at christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. That's right. And our music is by Kevin McLeod. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Any last words, Jamal? Facebook, the holiest of all places. <laughs> that is going in the promo. <laughs>